for folks who are joining the hurdle for the first time, I want to introduce myself. My name is Anup. I'm one of the cardiologists at CARE. My co-host for the session, Pranit, who is also logged in. He is my colleague uh, at CARE as well. And the idea of this huddle was literally to transfer some of the casual discussion that we have on the hallway or in you know, doctor's office. Hey, what would you do for that patient? What is your thought process? Just bring the, that casual session on a platform and just have same kind of discussion. Uh, we do want to talk science, but we are more interested in uh, seeing how we can apply that science to the practical scenario to the patient, literally just trans translating the evidence to clinical practice. Uh, particularly understanding our limitations uh, and truly speaking, the real scenario, what happens with the patient in front of you rather than what is the correct answer? Because many of the times what we do uh, in clinical practice is not necessarily the textbook answer, but we still do it because we believe for whatever our own weird reason, that that is the correct thing to do. And the huddle really wants to know that weird reason. We just want to understand what is the thought process. And in doing so, we'll pick your brain a little bit, we'll understand how things are going, learn a few, and maybe uh, see how, how, how our practice grows along with it. So this is, this is an open session for anybody. So anyone who has a thought, they can unmute themselves, obviously just wait for other person to uh, stop speaking and share your thought, or you can raise your hand and I will unmute you. Uh, to uh, get your thoughts. Uh, really, we don't, this is not an expert and an audience model. This is literally where I'm asking each one of the audience about what you typically do in your practice and your thought process behind it, because we want to learn your thought process. That is the consistent theme of this session. So science is welcome, but your thought process is the most important thing in session like this. So uh, we have we have uh, two guests here whom I personally invited, and then we have got some new faces as well. Uh, so I would invite Dr. Ravinder Reddy for people who are at CARE. Uh, he's a pretty well-known figure. He's a general surgeon and uh, with a very keen interest and expertise in nutrition. So uh, we'll, we'll have his thought. We have Dr. Radha here. She is a... Chief of Clinical Nutrition at Sunshine Hospital, uh, Secunderabad, I believe. Um, so we will pick her brain as well in terms of what she thinks. And few names, I cannot, uh, I think they are, uh, they are joining us for the first time. So whenever you unmute yourself uh, to share your thought, we would really love to, to know who you are. So take a few seconds to introduce yourself. We have Dr. Raghu in the audience. He is a senior cardiologist at CARE with us. We have few residents. We have Dr. Vrinda, who is an endocrinologist at CARE as well. So that's the kind of audience we, are, we have. And uh, it's about four minutes. I typically start the session asking Pranit a clinical scenario. And then I go around asking other people what their thought is for this particular patient. So 
Pranit, you are ready for my question? Yes or no? Very good okay. evening. Okay. So, Pranit, we all know the topic of the session. So, typically, you have patients come into your OPT, young guys who recently somebody checked their blood pressure. Their blood pressure is a little bit on the higher side. So, they get all panicky and then they come to a cardiologist that they want to get their life straight. They want to do everything correct so that they reduce their risk of future cardiovascular diseases or whatnot. So this is a 34-year-old IT professional. He comes to your OPD. He does not have any active medical problem. He actually visited his father's cardiologist because his father uh, recently had an MI. And uh, his father's cardiologist checked his blood pressure son's blood pressure, and that was a little bit elevated. So that got this guy freaked out. So he gets all this package investigation and whatnot, finds that his triglycerides are a little bit elevated. Uh, LDL is a little bit elevated. Uh, everything else is okay. He's otherwise asymptomatic. So he comes to you to, um, to know about every good thing that he can do in his life. And one of the questions that he asks is, I want to eat the best oil that you would recommend for my cooking purposes. He, of course, he consumes Indian food, typically what, what we do. So the question for you is, Pranit, with this kind of clinical setup, what is the best oil that you can advise to this patient based upon your uh, clinical experience and knowledge that you think will reduce his future chance of cardiovascular disease? Over to you, Pranit. Yeah. So good evening, everyone. Uh, typical uh, case scenario which you see in OPD, uh, practice and this is one of the uh, toughest questions I have to answer and it definitely is a very uncomfortable uncomfortable question for me when someone talks about diet and nutrition because this is some area which I'm not uh, totally comfortable but just to end the conversation I do suggest them to uh, take any uh, plant-based vegetable oil so few things which at least with my knowledge, again, there are experts here which can correct me. What I could know is something which can be uh, kind of is in a solid form, something which can solidify is high in saturated fat, something like uh, ghee, coconut oil, or something like this, that dalda, vanaspati. So you avoid them, butter probably as well. And something which is flowing is uh, good in uh, unsaturated fatty acids, which are kind of healthy. And most of the plant-based or vegetable oils are healthy. Uh, so preferable uh, things being olive oil, in my opinion, is one of the best. But it is uh, because expensive, people don't uh, use it frequently. The next best option is uh, sunflower oil. Many brands are there. Again, I really don't know how best it is and all. So the and the other thing which I uh, no, or I uh, at least are familiar is something called rice bran oil, which I really don't know how it is. It makes a difference. And somewhere which I know or I heard is that you keep changing the oil pattern so that you can get benefits out of uh, most of it. So I uh, politely tell the same thing that uh, uh, you better consult a dietitian or nutritionist. But this is what I suggest is I need plant-based oil. Avoid those. Uh, solidifying uh, oils like ghee, vanaspati, dalta. Use uh, some vegetable oil, preferably a sunflower oil. And if you can, 
try to change uh, like one cinema if you use sunflower then you try to use rice bran or something like that so say and uh, that is how i can end the conversation okay so basically i don't think i have ever heard a cardiologist sound so confused uh, previously and i think this question does confuse lot of cardiologists so dr ravind and dr radha i'll get back to you because i think that once you speak your expertise then i think a lot of our thoughts will change in the real time so i'll get back to you guys um, i want to have dr raghu weigh in dr raghu what is what is your preferred what is your favorite oil that you prescribe to your patients or uh, use yourself for that matter okay uh mostly i agree with uh, dr pranit but uh, over the years i have been reading a bit on these oils and uh, what i tell them is it really doesn't matter i mean there are no studies which have shown that olive is the best and uh, sunflower oil is uh, the least or groundnut oil is the least i mean there are uh, it's impossible to do a, a random uh, trial on these things because nobody can stick to a particular pattern unlike uh, drugs nobody can stick to a particular pattern and eat the same thing over and over again for uh, years together to show that uh, the natural history is better with a particular oil so we go by broad diet uh, things like the amount of saturated fat should not be more than 5% in any oil and uh, there's this thing called trans fat which should not be there in an oil and so any like pranit said any oil that is always at in liquid form at room temperature is basically good now uh, i was talking to my niece just a while ago she is uh, fairly high up in the uh, in marico uh, it's one of the fast uh, consumer good products company in our country which sells uh, what is called safola total and safola gold now she said uh, this is a mixture of sunflower and uh, rice bran oil or curry seeds with uh, rice bran now they uh, project that safola total is uh, far superior so i asked her what is it that you base your thing on have you done any uh, she was very vague she said okay we have done some uh, there is a lot of uh, backup to what we are projecting i said uh, tell me honestly is it not a lot of hype and very quietly she said there might be a little bit of hype also and she being an mba i don't trust mbas at all i know that their uh, concept in life is to sell anything uh, they are capable of selling uh, stones as good nutrients also so i don't trust them basically i have got this deep rooted dislike for mbas so uh, coming back to the subject of oil so i just keep it plain and simple to the patient i say i tell them that whatever form of liquid oil is available in our country uh, is fairly good for use uh, it is possibly wise to rotate it every month for example if you have used rice bran oil this month you can use sunflower oil so that you are exposed to all the uh, good aspects of the various oil but the best thing is not what oil you are using but how little you are using and of course a few things like uh, you uh, basic uh, problem of uh, oils in usage in our country is the fact that we tend to heat them uh, to very high temperatures and you reuse them now whatever benefit you might have even in olive oil or in uh, uh, sunflower oil or safola oil by reheating you are destroying the uh, properties of the oil and you are uh, inducing a certain amount of hydrogenation in the oils and thereby you are endangering yourself and also there are 
other things which point towards the fact that reheated oil consumed frequently can lead to uh, carcinogenicity and all that. Of course, how much of it is proved, I do not know. This is all anecdotal hearsay, what you read in the lay press. I am not aware of any study which has specifically looked at each one of these aspects. And like I said in the beginning, uh, any study on these uh, things can be very, very difficult to uh, prove. So we just go by common sense. We decide of uh, which oil has how much of uh, saturated fats. Of course, many of the oils come with their own label saying zero cholesterol, zero trans fats and all that. Uh, of course, you take it with a pinch of salt, but uh, even if it is not zero, if it is at a very low level, then you are fairly safe. I think I'll conclude. I've uh, taken a bit of your time, Anu. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, sir. I, I hope Dr. Ravinder and Dr. Radha are taking notes because there are a lot of questions that will be coming to both of you guys. Uh, anybody else, other than my two guests, anybody else has any other thoughts to add uh, before we start asking specific questions? Please pick up your mind anything that you think uh, in terms of your practice patterns. What do you do? Anybody in the audience who would like to weigh in? Okay, so that looks like I'm not the only one who is confused. All of us are. So, Dr. Ravinder Reddy, tell us. Get us out of this. Get us out of this misery. Uh, thanks a lot, Anup. Uh, thanks a lot, Anup, A, for inviting me. Uh, even though I'm not a trained uh, dietitian or a nutritionist, in fact, my familiarity with the science of uh, nutrition stems from the fact that when my wife was doing MSc nutrition, I was doing my MS and I was reading more of her books rather than my surgical books. And that was the baseline. And then subsequently, when I was doing my postdoctoral fellowship in critical care at Hammersmith Hospital, that's where I really went on to the clinical nutrition. So my familiarity, or perhaps even I am I dare enough to say that my expertise lies in clinical nutrition rather than uh, dietetics, which is basically, that's why I requested Dr. Radha to join us so that we can actually uh, share the opinion. Now, coming to both the Pranit as well as uh, Dr. Raghu, sir, what they, have, they were spot on. Of course, all of us are confused. In fact, if you look at the biochemistry of uh, oils or fats, that is the most confusing one. Because A, you have long chain, you have short chain, you have medium chain. You have MCTs, uh, there are so many. You have the saturated fats, you have unsaturated fats, many, many things, enough to actually uh, cause many a confusion. Having said that, oils are fats at liquids, uh, uh, liquids at room temperature, which Pranit said is very good, and uh, even Dr. Raghu reiterated that, and it's very nice that uh, they got it spot on. However, any fat can be good, any fat can be bad. It depends on the company it keeps. In fact, if olive oil, which is purported as there are quite a few studies actually, what contrary to what uh, Dr. Raghu said, quite a few, uh, uh, most of the studies which I am aware of have been done at Tufts University Hospital, uh, the Nutrition and Cardiometabolic Center from, uh, from Boston. So there have been quite a few studies that actually have shown that uh, oils can be, all oils, A, they increase the satiety, they increase the taste. Uh, having said that, one teaspoonful, or sorry, one tablespoon of oil is about 90 calories. So if somebody 
takes olive oil on its own, saying that it is unprocessed or an extra virgin olive oil, he, will, he or she will put on weight and uh, it will not be good as far as their cardiovascular system is concerned. However, if they have the same olive oil, extra virgin olive oil, which is unrefined, and have it along with a Mediterranean diet, or in other words, a lot of vegetables, so if the company which it ke keeps is actually, then it turns out that on the contrary, the weight loss actually reduces and there is increased amount of positive clinical effects. I'll not go much into that. Now, talking about reheated oil, yes, there have been studies to show that once you heat, especially it's called smoke point, there are a, quite a few oils which are not stable. So at smoke point, there's a thing called lipid peroxidation. Now, all of us know that fats are quite a significant number of them are unsaturated, that means they have these hydrogen bonds, they are very loosely, they lose their loose links. So when it is heated, it's called as lipid peroxidation, that actually causes, as Dr. Raghu said, it causes, it, it lands up in increased incidence of uh, polymerization, which actually goes and increases the LDL. Uh, some oils actually increase the HDL as well, but more important is they increase the LDL. And not to forget that they can actually provoke the production of secondary bile acids and thereby causing increased uh, cancer. So the before I go on to the specific oils, which are good, which are bad, all oils are actually good or bad as long as we have not more than 15 ml, not more than 15 ml in 24 hours. Uh, and uh, ideally, it is for given the Indian way of cooking, it's better to avoid reusing the oil which has once been heated for frying or whatever and uh, also if you are having oil we, we see that we limit the amount to less than about one tablespoon that is 15 ml in 24 hours i'll take on more questions but uh, i'll present it back to you anup thank you so much uh, before i get to dr radha anybody has any follow-up thoughts questions or anything about it So one of the questions which is being asked is, what is this virgin or extra virgin in olive oil? And since nobody else is speaking, let me get to Dr. Radha. Dr. Radha, I think that you have a lot to unpack here. Uh, let me start with this question first, uh, which the audience asked. What is this extra virgin in uh, olive oil? And tell us, tell us what we should answer to that 34-year-old guy whose father had an MI at the age of 55 what oil he should take so that his blood pressure is better and his cardiovascular risk is low. Dr. Radha, on to you. Thank you so much for this opportunity that uh, I could interact with all of you all. Uh, I hope you all can hear me. I can hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so first coming to this question of answering the uh, young guy who's come with uh, a history and uh, how do we as dietitians handle is first and foremost as the other two uh, earlier uh, interactions also said the same thing we first tell them to control in fact we take a detailed diet consumption history first thing is we ask them about how much oil are they consuming if they say we don't know then we ask approximately how much oil they are using per month and how many members in the house and we calculated down to what they probably would be consuming. 
and then we tell them this is the amount that you are using and what you can actually do is as dr reddy said and even dr ragu said that it is 15 ml 3 teaspoons of oil per day which boils down to 450 ml per month or half a liter one packet is 900 ml so half for one person is what we clearly explain but the person is really intelligent they come back to us and say fat we can take up to 30% of the total calories then i go back and tell them that visible fat fat as fat whether you take it as ghee whether you take it as oil whether you take it as butter should be 3 teaspoons per day and the rest comes from invisible which is a part of the food which you cannot assess so you have to really be controlling this this is point one which we make it very very clear to them there are some marwadi families who come to us and say we cannot stay without ghee then i tell them yes you go ahead because i'm not, i cannot say no i do tell them yes go ahead use ghee but see that you reduce the oil but the total intake should be 3 teaspoons per day that is point number 1 that we generally explain for from patient point of view and then we tell them you keep changing the oils because each one of them has different compositions as somebody as the first speaker dr praneet did say that about olive oil yes olive oil is an indian substitute or the indian substitute for olive oil can be rice bran oil because the mofa content is almost nearing to olive oil exactly not but it has a larger content of mofa so we do tell them that you change oils do have polyunsaturated or monounsaturated fatty acids these compositions have to be there and then coming to the technical part we do explain to them that there are studies which say that if you are that some come back to us and ask can we take coconut oil because now nowadays the hype is that we are taking coconut oil is it good not good but then coconut oil also has the bad part of it that is saturated fat and there are studies which have proven that 1% increase in intake of saturated fat increases the ldl by 3% 2 to 3% so this is what we tell them see your ldl can reduce with saturated fat uh, reduction but this is what does the study say so you decide whether you want to take ghee or oil that is another thing that we tell them and it is not necessary that people will stay healthy if they take olive oil no the quantity is more important whatever oil you take the quantity 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 is more important and another thing is how are these saturated fats substituted that is more important if saturated fats are substituted by trans fats then what happens is the risk increases by 5% if the saturated fats are substituted by mofa that is like olive oil or rice bran oil then the risk reduces by 15% if it is substituted by fufa oils then it is reduced by 25% if it is substituted or the saturated fat is substituted by intake of more refined carbohydrates which finally gets converted inside the body the risk is increased by 1% 
and if carbohydrates are if the saturated fats are substituted by carbohydrates from whole grains then the risk reduces by 9% so these are things that we have to keep in mind and tell them that you just don't reduce your oil you just don't change your oil but your overall diet pattern has to change it's not just about oil oil singularly does not work inside the body it's the whole lot which works so that is something that in counseling that we have to give them little of evidence little of counseling and then fit it into what they are actually taking presently that is to your first question and then coming to your second question about what this virgin oil and extra virgin oil is see it's a processing method and it's a very hyped up name that it's given virgin oil is something where they don't it's called as cold press oils where they don't use any chemicals where they don't use any heat it's it's basically that so they they believe that the uh, antioxidants of the oil are intact when you actually have them as virgin or extra virgin oil so that could be a better health outcome along with using an olive oil which is high mofa content and so it could be a double health benefit but the health benefit comes provided we maintain the quantity and there have been a number of studies especially by dr gafurinisa begum from uh, nim long time ago who's done lot of studies on fats and oils and cardiovascular disease in the indian setup she has proven that changing oils is a better benefit than sticking on to one kind of oil so this is another thing have a combination but the whole thing should be coming down to 15 ml per day i think this is what as a dietitian i can say practically anybody has questions i can still answer okay ma'am i have a quick follow up question and then i will i will ask uh, the rest of the audience sorry there is some noise there i'm muting everybody there is some noise there okay um, ma'am question is you briefly touched upon this cold press and virgin oil so my direct question to you is rice bran oil refined versus cold press better worse doesn't matter yeah it does see uh, uh, cold press is better quality yes but the affordability is something that you have to see especially in the indian scenario i do not advise uh, for everybody maybe it is one patient in a month whom you know who is really hyped up and i say yes go ahead use the cold press oils but 90% of my patients you know or 99 patients of mine 100 patients in a month i say go go ahead and use rice bran oil because that is something that is easily available if they are able to afford and they know the benefits then yes cold pressed is really good but this is an advice that i generally don't give dr ravinder reddy some comment most oils and most oils in india are... sorry sir let Sorry, Dr. Ravinder. Let let Dr. Radha finish. I thought she was done. Yeah, yeah. No, yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Ma'am, go ahead. Please. Most oils, the vegetable oils in India are added with extra quantity of vitamin E. So you know the antioxidants are fortified. So I think there is some benefit if you 
can use the regular uh, vegetable oils. I think sir also can add on. Dr. Ravindra, uh, did you have some comments? Yeah, the only thing is, this is regarding the virgin and extra virgin. The extra virgin is, I, uh, when my patients ask me this, I actually tell them, have you seen any, you know, the sugarcane juice wala? The first time he puts the huge sugarcane juice and extracts the juice, that is the, that is the extra virgin. And he uses the same thing again to extract some more, that is the virgin. The same thing is with the olive oil. Extra virgin oil is the first press which has got the highest polyphenols and uh, antioxidants. Whereas the same thing again is reutilized or pressed, a cone, pressed again. And it becomes, uh, the amount is still there, but significantly less. All in the market, in the supermarkets, you'll find olive oil without the label extra virgin or virgin. They are no different from any other uh, oils uh, which are available. Uh, the other thing which I wanted to tell you all is, uh, like Dr. Radha said, most of these are calorie dense. In fact, they contain more calories than even butter. Butter actually, which has about 16% of butter is water. Whereas the entire 100% of oil is actually fat without the presence of any water because the water does not dissolve in them. But uh, I've seen some questions coming up, but we'll go on uh, further as, uh, as we get down. The other thing is, as uh, Dr. Radha said, the reason why it is the reason it is costly. Extra virgin olive oil in India is very costly. Very few of us Indians can actually afford it. But it it might surprise some of us that it is the most duplicated food on planet Earth. Is the extra virgin oil. So we have to be very very careful whether we are getting any fake oils or whether it's 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 really one. The second one, if anyone anyone is interested, is actually the Hanukkah honey. Uh, but the most duplicated one food in the entire world is actually the extra virgin oil. Anup. Before you leave, uh, before you uh, finish this sentence, I have a follow-up question on that. So Dr. Radha is mentioning to reduce the oil content. If we reduce all the fat, how will we get fat-soluble vitamins? Don't you think we'll become deficient in vitamin A, D, E, K if we reduce the fat content that much? Dr. Ravinder, question for you. No, we, we don't need to. We don't need to. We need 15 grams is sufficient. 15 ml is sufficient for uh, us. Only thing, only thing is, if somebody has only, let's say, extra virgin oil, that is MUFA, the limitation is not because of the absorption of fat-soluble vitamins, but because of the lack of essential fatty acids in the pure MUFA oil, that is pure extra virgin oil. That's why we have to we have to have a combination. Uh, one of the common combinations I've advised from the Tufts University is actually have olive oil for salads and for light cooking. That is uh, something on your chapatis or whatever. And you can have coconut oil to a certain extent for high temperature Indian cooking. But we at home we use canola because it has got a very high smoke uh, smoking point of nearly 250 degrees centigrade. Canola is very good, and it also it's got a neutral flavor and uh, very high amount of kufa. So we get adequate amount of essential fatty acids from them. Now coming to fat-soluble vitamins, the reason it's called fat-soluble is we don't need basic oil to uh, for them to be absorbed. Any amount of uh, fats in the diet, let it be 5%, 10%, or not more than 15%, that will stimulate the production of the pancreatic lipase. The pancreatic lipase is the one that actually converts the, the macronutrients in the form of fats 
into smaller uh, molecules, triglycerides are broken down into fatty acids, and from there further on the, the, into missiles, and that's how they are absorbed. Whereas the medium chain triglycerides not need, uh, do not need uh, pancreatic lipase, they're directly absorbed from the intestine into the portal radicals. But most of the fat soluble vitamins are co absorbed because they're soluble in fats along with uh, pancreatic lipase. So having 15 ml, that is adequate. Remember, one spoon is actually 90 kilocalories. So uh, we are getting at least about 90 kilocalories or minimum from fat. That is more than enough spread out over 24 hours. That is more than enough to actually see that we have adequate homeostasis, adequate uh, digestion, adequate absorption as far as vitamins which are soluble in fat are concerned. And if we rotate the oils rather than sticking on to one oil, as Dr. Radha said, rotate the oils, then we also get the uh, uh, essential fatty acids. Whereas if we stick to only one oil, like olive oil, we will not be getting the essential fatty acids. Anup? I have two more direct clinical questions. It could be a one-sentence answer. Mufa versus Kufa, which one is better, in your opinion? Both. The, the, duration, the, the amount is important. Because excessive PUFA, excessive PUFA, for example, I'll give you, a, we are in the midst of uh, COVID. Suppose somebody who's, got, who's in the midst of throes of uh, the cytokine storm, and if his diet is purely or excessively PUFA, it is pro-inflammatory. So somebody who has excessive PUFA, that is omega-6 especially, they are pro-inflammatory. That's why we, should, we need to have a balance of omega-9, omega-6, and omega-3 fatty acids. I just saw somebody asking a few questions. The question on what should should there be a ratio? Yes, there should be a ratio of omega three, six, and nine. At least one third of the amount should be from the omega six uh, and also the omega three because both of these contain or contribute to the essential fatty acids. So mufa, majority of the mufa is good. Most of the nuts which we eat are very rich in mufa. They are good, heart healthy. They will not raise the the increase the HDL to a certain extent. Definitely, they will not raise the LDL, whereas PUFA can uh, raise both LDL as well as HDL, just like saturated fats. Nope. Perfect. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll let you we'll let you pause for a few minutes. Maybe you can catch your breath. Yeah. Uh, we'll open it for the audience. Anybody who has got any thoughts, Dr. Staskri joined, Dr. Chandramukhi joined. They both are senior cardiologists. At care. Dr. Raghu, you have something to comment and then I'll get back to Dr. Shastri. Dr. Raghu, please go ahead. Two years, I mean, a few decades at least, I've been insisting that we do not use uh, more than half a liter per, head, uh, per uh, each family member. And it works out approximately the same thing that has been uh, stated by Dr. Radha and Dr. Ravinder. Now, uh, the problem is. Uh, the normal cooking process uh, in most uh, vegetarian homes is uh, not much of usage of oil. But then uh, everyone occasionally does enjoy a, uh, a deep fried uh, stuff. For example, I cannot live without my weekly uh, Sunday breakfast of puris. So you know puris are deep fried and you get a lot of oil in. Uh, in. So it basically, if you can control the level of oil intake during your normal cooking, then you have the discussion of using some tasteful uh, food items now and then so that you don't become uh, uh, per 
person who, who feels that there's no point in living altogether. So uh, this is something very important. When you talk to a patient and say, okay, reduce this, reduce that. I've had quite a few people come back and say, look, I don't feel as if I'm enjoying my life anymore. This is after an MI, I tell them you cut down on your non vegetarian you cut down on your oil. And the patient comes back and says after a couple of weeks or two weeks after the initial fear of an MI has uh, receded, he says, what am I living for? So you tell them, okay, you be as uh, logical about it uh, as possible. Try to give yourself a little uh, leeway once a week or once a fortnight. But uh, most of the times, if you can adhere to the norms that have been stated, then you should do well. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, Dr. Shastri is here with us. My next question, I'll just ask Dr. Shastri's opinion. Sir, we are talking about uh, this clinical scenario where there is a 34-year-old guy whose uh, father got diagnosed with coronary artery disease at the age of 55. Now this 34-year-old gentleman, he is getting super excited about what he can do to change his lifestyle so that he can reduce his risk. And the discussion is on oil in terms of how we can change or modify or advise him so that he can reduce. So my question to you is two. One is, what would you advise this guy, 34-year-old, of oil uses, so that cooking oil we are talking about, so that uh, his cardiovascular risk is reduced. And as a cardiologist, a 55-year-old guy comes in with post-MI. Is selection of oil important for uh, secondary prevention at that age, or you think that that boat is already sailed and now it really doesn't matter which oil you use? Dr. Shastri, your comment, please. Well, I, I am not sure. Um, I, I, I really honestly, I don't know. The purpose of joining the meeting is to learn from uh, all the uh, Lionel people, especially Ravindra India, I'm so excited to listen to him, though it is only last uh, few sentences. Personally, I, I have no idea. I am so confused about it. There's a time when I used to read uh, more about these things, but now I, I don't know how much to believe, how much it's really effective. Um, I, I, I really don't know whether the oils really matter uh, or do not matter. Um, the, the all these the primary and secondary prevention things um, they, they they work for groups not for individuals. If if you take a group cohort of people and implement any of these uh, methods, including control of uh, hyperlipidemia or uh, hyper uh, hypertension, etc., um, that that seems effective. But when it comes to individual patients, the genomics matter, that microbiome matters, and uh, Simply great matters. I, I, I can't say more. I don't know. Thank you. Thank you so much, sir. I think I'll just comment for a minute. So uh, one thing that I did notice amongst everybody talking that while we are talking about cooking oil, the, when we discuss with a patient, we have to look at a comprehensive approach in terms of what Dr. Ravinder Reddy said that the company it keeps or what Dr. Radha said, the amount matters or Dr. Raghu said the rotation matters or Dr. Pranit said um, uh, the saturated versus unsaturated. And then the very important point that Dr. Shastri and Dr. Raghu brought was that the psychological effects of what happens when you do a completely restricted diet because that also has got a cardiovascular bearing. So maybe we are reducing some risk by this dietary modification, but then we're increasing the risk because of that psychological stress or whatnot associated. Uh, unhappy mind 
is an unhappy heart, truly speaking. And then what Dr. Shastri said that that we have to look at uh, a holistic picture where something may work in cohort, but when may not work at an individual level. So these things we are making a decision in the clinic. We certainly can apply that as a cohort in our patient as well in terms of it may not work for that particular patient. But if we have a tailored advice for let's say 100 patient, we may be able to apply that cohort uh, dynamics to that as well. Uh, I will ask the same clinical question to Dr. Uh, Chandramukhi as well. Ma'am, what would you suggest to that 34-year-old guy and what would you suggest to that 55-year-old person with one who did not have any event and the other one who is just recovering from acute MI in terms of dietary modification of cooking oil? Do you have a favorite? If you do, uh, please explain. Uh we also like uh, don't have much experience like with uh, primary prevention and secondary pre prevention but definitely uh, if the this uh, 34 year old guy is having a risk factor like family history of coronary artery disease so i would like to recommend the like dietary restrictions with uh, reduced quantity of oil and as everybody mentioned that rotating oils will be a better option for uh, like uh, using a healthy oil so this will be my advice for both uh, father and son so much ma'am uh, do i have dr johan here he joined i don't know if he's there or not dr johan if you are there would you wait i think he left uh, okay let me get to a few questions uh, dr radha i have a question for you and this is something which i cannot put my head onto so you go to european countries or you look at european data they will swear by saying how good olive oil is you go to america they would all talk about uh, corn oil or uh, peanut oil, although olive oil is famous there as well. You come to India, the southern part, Kerala and all this, they would swear by co coconut oil. We have been using in our family for centuries. We all are pretty good. You go to the Hindi-speaking belt, uh, UP, Bihar, uh, northern part of India, they would swear by mustard oil. You go to Gujarat, Madhya Pradesh kind of uh, places, they will swear by groundnut, peanut oil, those kind of things. A lot of it is regional. I think there is regional favoritism. Because if people in Kerala all of a sudden find that mustard oil is good, God knows how they are going to get it. And the same thing will happen with the northern part of India. Uh, if they start realizing that coconut, oil, that coconut oil is better, God bless. So how is this regional difference going on? There are people who take mustard oil for a long period of time. There are people who are taking coconut oil. I know when I initially joined CARE, some of um, our advisors, uh, they would actually recommend post-MI patient to categorically consume two teaspoons of coconut oil every day on the top of their cooking. Uh, because of that firm belief that coconut oil will increase HDL. By the way, there is a lot of clinical data that consuming coconut oil does increase HDL, and that has been shown in multiple trials. But that method of raising HDL has never been shown to improve cardiovascular outcome. In fact, the data goes the other way. The clinical outcome data suggests that uh, consumption of coconut oil could be detrimental rather than helping uh, in spite of HDL increase. So Dr. Radha, can you just weigh on this in terms of what is this regional difference is our genetics different? The way like gut biotome is different? Is, is something different that Kerala people find it better to consume coconut oil and, you, and Bihar people find it better to, to consume mustard oil? Uh, 
Dr. Radha to you. Uh, I have to unmute you. Give me one second. Give me one second. You are muted right now. Yes, ma'am. Please go ahead now. Yeah, this is actually generations of uh, a habit that has developed. And so the genetic makeup also, the microbiome also uh, has adjusted to this usage of oil. So you cannot, and they are used primarily, all of us want uh, each kind of food or we prefer to take for the taste factor. So from when you are a child in Kerala, you are trained to take coconut oil. So physically, you are, your acceptance to coconut oil is very high. And added, your body responds to it because your genes are also tuned to it over the years. So the risk factor that we talk about uh, having high amounts of coconut oil could be higher in non-carolites than those who have been using coconut oil for generations. So same thing with mustard oil. Some of us cannot bear the taste of mustard oil in food. But there are regions where everyday cooking is done in mustard oil. So that's a taste factor which they generally get acquainted to. That is the only answer that I think is the best way. And so it becomes regional. Like if you see, we, are, we add in Andhra, we add only till oil for making pickles. Because the taste is heightened and it's a different taste when you add sesame oil to pickles. So it's, it's that which is, you know, our cultural background tunes us to using those oils regionally. Yeah. Dr. Reddy, uh, yes, ma'am. There's a lot of noise. So uh, the question here is, you said you use canola oil occasionally for your cooking and whatnot. Canola. Sorry, Dr. Reddy, I'm going to unmute you. There's a lot of noise. Uh, I'm going to mute you. Sorry. Um, so the rapeseed oil, which is canola oil and mustard oil, they both are kind of if I'm not mistaken, either in the same family or very close by. And mustard oil, as somebody pointed out in the comment section, um, is banned in US for uh, human consumption. And uh, canola oil, which is equally high in so-called erucic acid, the reason why mustard oil is banned, the whole data came back, comes back from 1970s animal model where they showed that high erucic acid content is uh, detrimental to, heart, to, the tune, to the tune of could be being directly cardiotoxic, but never been proven in human studies. In fact, never been done in human studies that, that categorically, but animal studies do show that. And then canola oil potentially can have similar kind of erucic acid. So how come canola oil is famous in US and Europe, Canada particularly, versus mustard oil is not? Is there some racism there? What is going on? Dr. Ravinder Reddy, question for you. Uh, thanks a lot. Uh, just a few uh, points of clarification regarding canola. It's pressed from the seeds of canola plant, which uh, in a way is a member of the mustard family. Although, like you said, it is related to the rapeseed oil, it is not the same plant, by the way. It is entirely different. And the smoke point is quite high. Uh, it's about 468. That is nearly about uh, 250 degrees C. 
It can be used for stir-frying, which is uh, very common in India, or sauteing, uh, including salads, or even for baking. And uh, it's got a fantastic uh, flavor. It's got the lowest saturated fat content of all the commonly available oils. And some of them even uh, uh, supply the plant-based omega-3 fatty acids. So, and uh, the plus point of these is uh, that it can be used for the Indian style of cooking. Now, the uh, research which you, the publications which you mentioned are pretty old, and uh, there have been some more, some new ones, especially in the late 90s and in the mid 2000, uh, up to 2005, quite a few studies on uh, different oils. Uh, this was actually uh, in cardiovascular cohort. Uh, this was a prospective uh, open label, prospective open label versus uh, prospective uh, placebo. I mean, they knew that they were not getting uh, it was, hence it was an open labeled one. And they did find that, yes, the uh, LDL certainly reduced. My point, uh, I just uh, picked up the point which you said that uh, coconut oil actually raises the HDL. Now, more than 70%, up to even 90%, according to some papers of coconut oil, is actually saturated fat. And there have been very good studies to show that uh, it, it increases the LDL. And the American Heart Association categorically states that coconut oil is uh, dangerous as far as heart health is concerned. Uh, is there anything else, Anup? That's pretty much it. Um, let me just open it to, to the audience. Maybe we'll get some questions there. If not, then I will put uh, I'll put my thoughts again. Anybody in the audience who has got any thoughts, any of their practice patterns, or any questions for Dr. Shastri? Yeah, I mean, this um, I'm not uh, so authentic as Dr. Reddy, but I'll uh, share a few. Um, points which I learned over a period of time. Now, coming to the coconut oil, uh, actually, a couple of years ago, almost it's a couple of years now, we, you know, Dr. P. V. Sachinayana was advocating this earlier. He came, he gave talks and all. Then we wanted to prove it. There's no point uh, going by uncontrolled trials. Actually, we wrote a protocol, we took ethics company permission. And unfortunately, we could not uh, do it. So at that time, I went through the coconut oil literature and uh, nearly 25 to 30 studies are there. Most of these coconut oil studies are small studies, short-term studies. They did not particularly look at the outcomes and the benefits are neutral or not inferior to other oils, depending on the investigator bias. So the hard data is not there for so-called coconut oil therapy. Now, the, it definitely increases the LDL cholesterol. Now, increase in HDL cholesterol, we should know that you increase the fat consumption, HDL also goes up. If you totally restrict the fat consumption, HDL comes down. This is one of the typical problems. Of late, we are not giving so much importance to HDL, which is increased by any pharmacological or dietary means. And it is a marker for uh, decreased or less atherosclerosis, but it is not, a, we, we do not know where, how the cause and effect relationship is there. 
So what I mean to say, by increasing HDL cholesterol, we have not demonstrated hard clinical outcome data in large studies. Actually, pharmacological studies, it has been uh, harmful. So nowadays, we don't bother so much about HDL. Now, LDL is, uh, is definitely has always been there, and uh, coconut oil definitely increases LDL cholesterol. I've seen quite a few patients because for some time I used to advise my patients to take coconut oil, but closely monitoring, and most of them have increased in LDL cholesterol. Now, the another point which I want to make is the looking at the anecdotal uh, experiences. Of course, anecdotal uh, anecdotes won't make science, but some things which uh, bother me, at least five, six patients of mine we have got very diffuse, deadly looking coronary arteries, there's hardly any blood flowing, not very old, middle-aged people. And I asked them what they eat. Instantly, all of them said they eat beef every day. Sometimes it makes me think whether uh, the Indian or Hindu custom of not eating beef, was it because millennia ago they realized that beef eating is not good for the South Asian ethnic groups. I, I do not know. It is just, it always goes in my mind. The second thing is, having said that, one of my classmates I know, who has been, you know, that uh, pure vegetarian, that Siddhi Samaja Yoga fellow, he's a pediatrician. His coronary arteries are as bad as these people who eat beef. So I really do not know. And the, I, I just wanted to know from others, what is the role of this ghee? I don't know. People who eat a lot of ghee, I'm, I'm, I don't think they are, they are particularly vulnerable for uh, aggressive coronary artery disease. Uh, quite a few of my, you know, um, the people I know, they, they take a lot of uh, ghee and uh, their carotid arteries and uh, general health is absolutely all right. No evidence of any atherosclerotic vascular disease. So I, I thought I'll just share these uh, ideas of mine. Thank you. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, Dr. Ravinder, could you answer this ghee conundrum? And then I'll go to Dr. Radha for other questions. Yeah, um, ghee in moderation again is good. Maybe about uh, not more than two or three or four ml per day. But remember, ghee is clarified butter. Uh, only the so-called Indian dietitians, I mean, uh, Radha apart, uh, which we see on the social media, they say that ghee is very good for heart health and other things. But if you go and actually look at the prospective studies on clarified butter, which is ghee, uh, then the numbers actually don't add up. In other words, frequent or daily consumption of clarified butter uh, may not be that good. But again, occasionally uh, is okay, or in a smudged amount, maybe less than 2, 3, 4 ml or 5 ml per day, uh, I know at least a cardiologist who actually has about two or three ml per meal of his. And uh, perhaps, and one of the best things is it increases satiety. But if somebody indulges or goes overboard with key rich foods, and I'm sure uh, they are the ones who are uh, asking for trouble. With that, uh, uh, let's see what Dr. Radha has to add on to this ghee conundrum. Radha, your question on ghee, please. And let me unmute you. Okay. Yeah. This is again a cultural uh, practice that we have that uh, once the child is introduced to food, it's best introduced with ghee. That is a practice. So it keeps going on and it's believed in general population that ghee is more healthier than 
uh, oil or the cooking regular cooking oil so they get into this habit of giving ghee for every occasion within the family but uh, ghee i i i'm telling you in my practice if the patient or the attender wants to give ghee i say yes because i cannot go against any cultural norm while i am giving the dietary counseling but i tell them you be within this but a person as somebody who has a risk comes back asking for ghee whether they can take then i tell them that you already have a risk and possibly that it's better you avoid ghee than using because it is more amount of saturated fat it's just that but once in a while once a week i tell him if you have not taken it for 6 days the 7th day you can take a teaspoon of ghee that is what i generally uh, advise as a dietitian to the patient and yes it's just a cultural norm follow up question on that to you uh, so in the mediterranean diet when we looked at the data originally published in ejm all this big havoc that mediterranean diet is good and all this when they looked at the fat content of these diets including olive oil they considered low fat diet as 40% fat consumption 40% of the recommended dietary allowance per day which for lot of american diets were also not a low fat content they were actually 40% would by any dietetic measure would be considered a high fat content if anything and now we are talking about here to reduce the total fat content either with oil and of course the invisible fat we can't see so if we reduce the oil that has to be supplemented by something else and the most common thing which is supplemented is simple carbohydrate or refined carbohydrate so if you have to choose as a dietitian in cardiovascular space out of the two which is a bigger enemy you reduce the oil but then the carbohydrate takes place and we know carbohydrates are the newer enemy to us so how do we handle that part uh in the current space dr radha yeah see if you have to really see i have worked with these patients i have gone in detail of uh, taking their intake been a part of uh, few of the research studies public health studies done by nin where we looked into the fat composition or the uh, fats and oil composition of their daily diets and we found that it is never 15 ml visible oil even if i advise 15 ml it will go up to 25 ml if i say 3 teaspoons mostly it will go up to 5 teaspoons a day if somebody is really rigid and this is a part and if you are looking into the total fatty acid uh, fat percentage of the total calories invisible fat you go into the nutritive value book and look at these foods that we consume we do come to 20 to 25% of the total calories from fats so we are not less we are not less we we are it's just that on a day to day basis you cannot open the nutritive value book and calculate the fat composition of your total calories that you have consumed so we assume we are taking less it's not that on an average we are on to 20 to 25% of fat intake on a regular basis so it's not less and even if you say you are less 
you substitute it with whole grains whole pulses it is not just with refined carbohydrates it's not you have to make a combination of all foods make convert all these uh, instructions or let's say guidelines into a diet because what the patient wants is the diet plan which he or she can follow and that is what has to reflect in a diet plan you have to tell them what is the benefit of having fruits and vegetables what is the benefit how much of carbohydrate you will get from them what is the benefit of eating uh, just idli or what is the benefit of eating a combination of uh, whole cereal and something like idli made from uh, refined rice so this is what we make them how they can include pulse in their day to day activity their intake how at least three times a week they can include pulses as sprouts in their diet so these are things which we have to inculcate and happens over a period of time overnight you can never see a change but make a combination Ma'am, I have one more question. Uh, we discussed about trans fat for a moment in terms of it is bad. Can you tell us yes. which oil has got higher trans fat so we all can tell our patients to avoid that part? It's not higher. See, it's not the higher uh, which oil has higher trans fats. It's not about oil. It's about the kind of processing that is done to our oil to give you trans fats. So you know, trans fats. If you take vanaspati. okay vanaspati which is used in almost every bakery product because that is what gives you the crispy uh, feeling of the bakery product and it's low cost so that is what is trans fat so you are going to tell them you we are into so much of biryani that we eat but 75% to 80% of the biryani oil that contains is vanaspati let me not use the brand name but it is vanaspati that is what is trans fat because that the minute you know that your biryani is sticking to your hand it has vanaspati simple you just tell your patients the minute you eat vegetable or non veg biryani it is that you go to a restaurant and you eat you eat your puffs you eat your whatever samosas samosa is crispy outside why is amma not making crispy samosas at home because there is vanaspati used that is what is important so that is what is the uh, danger of eating outside food I I take catenostatin 80 milligrams and azithromycin 10 milligrams. My LDL cholesterol is 37. Repeatedly checked. I take daily. I consume vegetable salads, sprouts, and fruits almost daily on various combinations. Should I bother about the cooking oil and what oil I eat and how much oil I eat? Your LDL is not the only marker which will tell you your heart health, sir. it is not the only marker i hope i am right uh, when i am saying this the other no, no, you, you, are, you, you are you are perfectly right i, I have no doubts in that but yes sir methods of uh, measuring other things like uh, oxidative stress we, we don't measure about the oxidized ldl cholesterol 
which is actually very strong risk factor compared to the LDL cholesterol. We don't look at the phospholipids. We don't look at the circulating fatty acids. And there must be many more uh, markers. But in the absence of it, how do we say the, the one, one marker we have is LDL cholesterol and triglycerides HDL in protein fragments? Yes, sir. What you can do is you still have to tell them that they have to be uh, on uh, a recommended quantity of oil. And what is most important is a overall balanced approach to the diet. It's not just about oil. Oil doesn't work singly, sir. That is one main thing. I'm always worried about how to bring them in, bring in this combination and a balanced approach to every meal in the day whether it is breakfast whether it is lunch whether it is dinner how much of protein how much of whole grains and how much of oil goes into breakfast how much does it go into lunch visible invisible fat protein and carbs and then how much goes into the dinner this is what is important it is that which creates a positive gut microbiome and that is what is going to bring about the overall health outcome on a long run. One day doesn't work, sir. One day, one month, one year doesn't work. It is over the years, over the years that it works. Eating five servings of vegetable every day, vegetables and fruits every day is a norm that I have been reading for 20 years. And you have to follow it. Eating five servings, that is half a kg of fruits at least, every day makes a difference. I've been my my younger children are 21. My elder one is 25. For 20 years, I've been doing this, sir. Not a day I have missed. That makes a difference. That is what is your strength, and that is what will matter even if you take little more oil. So it's not just about oil per se. It is the overall approach that you give. And what is more important is your exercise pattern. Let it be just moderate exercise, but how active are you throughout the day? That matters. So all these, as a dietitian, I have to educate my patient. Spend time. My counseling time is one hour per patient. They come on appointment to me. I just don't take in walk-ins, sir. I convince them to come back and tell them how to, how long I take. And every meal is explained to them. It is not a printed paper, sir. Just collecting their food details of their regular intake takes 20 to 25 minutes for me. And then I make out a plan of what they generally eat. Not what I want to give, what they are eating. Within that, we make a plan and make it more healthy and give it to them. That is what is important. I don't know whether I'm really convincing, but uh, this is what works. Thank you so much, Dr. Radha, for uh, those comments. Uh, I will quickly go over and read some of the comments. In the meantime, if anybody has any questions, please raise your hand or you can unmute yourself and say, Dr. Raghu, you have something? Uh, no, uh, just a couple of points which uh, Dr. Radha very uh, correctly raised that uh, evolution uh, you used for generations to a particular type of oil and that uh, uh, suits you, uh, which it may not suit a person who migrates to a particular place uh, uh, because he doesn't have the evolutionary 
safeguards. Also, if you think about it, uh, groundnut oil is very common in the West because uh, amount of peanuts grown there is much higher. Sesame seed is very commonly grown in the South and uh, like she very rightly said, it's used in pickle uh, preservation and all that. Similarly, mustard oil in the Far East and all that. Uh, I did a little bit of an experiment on myself. Uh, uh, I, I sort of uh, uh, did my lipid studies and I found that my uh, triglycerides is usually uh, in the range of 260 to 70. Then uh, suddenly uh, one fine day I found that my triglycerides had jumped to beyond 400. And then I started wondering where my diet had changed. So I uh, decreased the oil and uh, I changed other things, but it really didn't make much of a difference. Then I suddenly realized that off late I've developed a habit of uh, drinking a half a cup of Horlicks. This Horlicks is made with diluted milk and uh, two to three teaspoons of uh, heap teaspoons of Horlicks powder. This is something that uh, I I've sort of grown to like from my childhood. So I started taking it a uh, warm cup of uh, Horlicks in the night. And I cut my Horlicks completely. And 15 days later, recheck my uh, lipids and my triglycerides had come down back to 62-65. So, like uh, Dr. Radha said, it's 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 a composite thing, not uh, just one aspect of oil is just one aspect of our diet. And how much can you uh, change it to make a composite difference? Yes, it adds value to what is being done, all the healthy things, all the logical things that you do. But as a standalone, I don't think it is going to make a, a, a material difference. Uh, for example, I'm sure if you cut down oil dramatically to say two teaspoons a day, and you bring it, uh, bring a consumption down to a quarter of a liter per month. I don't think uh, its chances of getting a coronary uh, comes down so dramatically. If suppose other factors are uh, weighing in with their own risk factors. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much, sir. We are. Actually, I just like to add. Just uh, yes. since raised the point, the prevalence of coronary artery disease in one study in vegetarians was 10.6. And would you believe it? This is 10.6 per thousand population. And would you believe it? In non-vegetarians, it's 11. And I, I, I don't know about. He raised a point about beef. Now the, uh, you, you know this much better. The uh, incidence of uh, beef eating in the Western world is far, far higher than what we have in our country. And yet the incidence of coronary artery disease is far lower than what we have. So I'm sure there are a lot of things apart from just oil or the kind of diet. It's your environmental makeup, it's your, like, for example, in one of the lectures recently, uh, someone was uh, took pains to point out that the lack of pollution in the last four months because of corona has brought down the incidence of coronary artery disease. So many things chip in and weigh in, and at best you can only suggest logical things to the patient and uh, not be very categoric or very uh, uh, insistent about what you're saying is right. Perfect. Thank you so much, sir. And uh, I'm again going to try to read uh, some of the comments which are mentioned in the questions. So one of the question is certain studies show that compared to coconut oil and olive oil, other oils have imbalance can cause imbalance with increase in omega six versus omega three leading to chronic inflammation. So, you know, this whole omega three versus omega six, this argument is not well settled. The whole idea of omega three being protective and omega-6 being pro-inflammatory that was originally thought of and that is how this whole fish oil with the omega-3 triglyceride and everything that came up 
but there is enough of counter data as well to say that omega-6 may not be that pro-inflammatory that people think. And uh, they looked at the dietary patterns of uh, uh, historic times. You're talking about 2,000, 3,000 years ago in terms of what people were eating at that time. And they looked at uh, the dietary consumption. And the ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 was anywhere from 1, one is to 4 to 4 is to 1. So it's, any, it's, it's all over the place. Uh, most of the plant-based diet, plant-based oil, they have higher omega-6 omega as compared to omega-3. And the general consensus is if you can balance somewhere between 1 is to 2 versus 1 is to 4 of ratio, that will be okay. To bring it down to 1 is to 1 or anything lesser than 1 is to 2, you will have to go to uh, animal-based oil like fish oil and all this. So that is where uh, that conundrum is, but that science is not yet very clear. So I, I did not give my thought. I typically do not base oil based upon omega-3 versus omega-6 content. Although if there is any oil which has got overwhelming majority of one of the two components, then rotation of oil is always better. But I certainly wouldn't discount one oil just because it has got higher omega-3 or omega-6. Then the question is US banned mustard oil because of erucic acid. I think that this, this we discussed about erucic acid had been shown way back in animal study. Canola oil does have erucic acid, but then Canada has pretty much taken over the production of canola oil with the genetic engineering, where now the claim is that the Canadian produced canola oil has got erucic acid of less than 2% content to the degree of some production house even claiming there is zero erucic acid, although still being in the same uh, class as mustard. So for canola oil to be sold in US, they have to pass that erucic acid content test, and that's how canola oil is available in US versus mustard is not uh, in terms of uh, uh, edible oil. So that is how mustard oil still is banned versus canola oil is not. Sir, I'm still using olive oil. Is it okay or shall I use two or more oils? So I think if anybody in India is using olive oil exclusively, I don't know how you are cooking because olive oil has a very low smoking point. So if you are heating the olive oil, to what you typically do for Indian cooking, that oil is of no use. So as Dr. Ravinder Reddy said, you use olive oil for light cooking or for salads, and then you use uh, other oils like ri rice bran and uh, canola or safflower for uh, uh, frying. Mustard and groundnut oil were popular in my childhood. Now I don't prefer them. Am I right? Uh, this has been very nicely brought out by Dr. Radha. I don't know what is right or wrong, but certainly your bringing up your ancestry seems to matter. So people probably uh, who are born and brought up in the mustard belt, they probably consume mustard oil better as compared to people who are born and brought up in coconut belt where they would uh, consume coconut oil probably slightly better. So that is that is my answer to that. Should we look omega three to six ratio? I answered that question already. What is the relationship of virginity? I think that we answered already. So cold press oil, uh, so I, I believe that cold press oil is better. This has been mentioned in, uh, by Dr. Radha as well. Cost is an issue, uh, but more so even availability is an issue. Majority of the oil on the shelf are refined oil. Very few you will find which are cold press. Cold press essentially means you just squeeze the oil out without any processing. And because they don't go through high heating, you theoretically preserve all the nutrients or components or whatnot in there. So. Cold press oils are good, but they are costly. And again, their incremental benefit to the cost that they incur 
that has not been studied so we don't as well so that were all the questions and comments that i have read anybody has any other thoughts before we go with the closing comments any other questions for me dr radha or dr uh, ravinder reddy <laughs> so the hard clinical data for oil is difficult to achieve like what dr shastri was saying because it's difficult to randomize your lifestyle you can randomize drugs but you can't randomize lifestyle and <coughs> regional variation is difficult to compare because of the different genetic makeup and different uh, gut microbiome that you can't compare an indian ethnicity with an american ethnicity with their change in oil pattern because their individual ethnicities are are going to dictate the cardiovascular outcome rather than the oil so most of the data is derivative in nature most of the data is based upon the surrogate parameter like coconut oil increases saturated increases ldl hence it is uh, not good for heart on the other hand olive oil reduces ldl so in a sense it is protective for heart so most of the data is derivative clinical hard point is very difficult to find uh, dr shastri you have something to add yeah yeah quickly the, the, the i i just want especially i see some of the residents here uh, they should go through the details of the finland study uh, in uh, early 50s and uh, up to 60s the coronary disease uh, incidence and prevalence mortality is extremely high in finland they used to eat lot of uh, uh, beef and uh, non vegetarian food uh, there is one person a great host to one person i forgot his name he brought in changes from a governmental uh, action he brought in changes in the dietary habits and it has uh, remarkably reduced the, uh, the the morbidity mortality due to coronary disease in finland so when you are talking about these epidemiological and cohort studies as i mentioned earlier individual we can't really be sure but we should try because we do not know which particular individual will get benefit and an individual patient will we can never demonstrate particular benefit with this kind of interventions and actually it said if you decrease the total ldl cholesterol of the population or total salt consumption of the population or total systolic blood pressure means i mean to say mean systolic blood pressure of the population that itself will demonstrate decrease in the morbidity mortality even for pollution if you decrease pollution can you say that one particular person is benefited no so these are all we have to accept them at a cohort level but at the same time we should not uh, banish saying say no no individually doesn't work and finally when you are talking about the diet i think ravindra i don't know whether he's still there last year i shared with him one of the um, one of the nice uh, simple scientific studies when they looked at the gut microbiome before and after christmas weekend they demonstrated significant changes in the people who have gone to their in-laws houses and who stayed back in their houses in us because there is a significant change in the diet so when we are talking about the oils and diet uh, the, especially diet and of course oils included uh, it is not necessary that they produce biochemical changes directly based on their saturated or unsaturated fatty acid content they also change the microbiome and microbiome in turn changes the inflammatory markers and that may contribute to the progression or regression of the atherosclerosis and even the onset these are some of the thoughts this is a big topic we can talk endless uh, without any conclusions that's all uh, anup thank you so much sir dr ravinder reddy your closing comments in one minute and then i'll go to dr radha okay a few things uh, 
the we heard talk saying that uh, probably there's something good in beef now the thing is uh, most of the vegetarians we vegetarians eat only vegetarian junk in other words it's crap that is calorie rich and processed so we need to have a very good combination and that's why in kerala those who have that doesn't mean that people in kerala are eating only or having only coconut oil they have a combination of everything else and that is the reason why the incidence of other major is on par with the rest of the country now coming to trans fatty acid or uh, uh, tfas trans fatty acids the best way to tell your patient is to know about patient label reading i mean that that's a very good thing uh, how we, uh, we we need to have a session on label reading and any oil they not say uh, trans fatty acids they say rich in hydrogenated vegetable oils if this label is there hydrogenated vegetable oils then that is that they should not be taking that at all so in my closing comments it is not just the oils basically you can divide that uh, into 30% diet that includes the oils adequate and a healthy diet out of which 50% of your every meal state should have only uh, complex carbohydrates either cooked salted or boiled or steamed the other 30% comes from how active we are the whole day that is physical activity the other 30% comes from the fixed exercises we do at least 150 minutes uh, every week and the last 10% comes down to the genes on which we started off with the original patient he is worried about those 10% but if he takes care of this remaining 90% then perhaps we can actually have a complete 100% reduction in the incidence of cardiovascular disease and the other side of the coin is of course the drugs but drugs drugs are not the only thing thank you very much anup sir uh, dr radha your closing comment in one minute please for this session actually dr radha diet, yeah. diet does not just play with while uh, intake but as i already completed or i already commented that's a new overall approach a balanced approach to having inclusions of carbohydrates protein fats and of course the fruits and vegetables which add on to fiber fiber becomes a very very important factor in our diet so your whole grains add to fiber and you take pulses whole pulses add to soluble or insoluble fiber they have a role in processing fat so all these are connected to fat that we take and nothing works in the body without exercise something something has to be done we cannot just eat as less as calories as possible and say i want to stay fit it is not possible however less you take you still put on or you are unhealthy unless and until you do some kind of exercise and last as dr reddy said genes do have a role but provided the rest of the parameters are kept in control that genes really are not a difficulty for us thank you so much ma'am can i add on one last sentence anup yes sir 30 seconds we are very late yes sir please genes, go genes load the gun diet pulls the trigger thank you thank you so much pranit your closing remarks and then we are done after this yeah So, extensive session. We discussed a lot. Definitely, a bit of uh, uh, clarity on uh, at least some uh, step forwards in telling an advice when someone asks. So, thank you all for those valuable suggestions and comments. It was a good session indeed.
people i think this is probably this is the longest session we had uh, we extended almost 20 minutes but uh, important topic and something that cardiologists are equally confused about thank you all for attending special thanks to dr ravinder and, and dr radha who joined us and hopefully we'll see you in future session as well good night guys <laughs>